Captain, I've never seen fog quite this thick before. Aye, mate. And it'd be showing no signs of letting up. We'd best be getting a radio bearing and see where we are. Mr. Navigator! Triangulate a radio plot immediately. Yes, sir. I'll see all this time. We'll turn this on. You're listening to the fine sounds of WCBN FM in Ann Arbor. Captain, what is it? According to my big captain, what? What's the street? Wait, Captain, where's the fire? Ah, you know what I'm talking about. Look at man, the fog. I didn't uh, know where I was. Sure, sure. Tell it to the lieutenant. I'm running a lot of you in. Okay, now get in the line there and we'll get you into the captain and we'll see what he has to say about all this. Difficult listening, 24 hours a day. It's WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. Office box, a box of chocolates. Would I know to stay away? What's that? Hand off his box, a box of chocolates. Would I eat them anyway? Cause every time I have half a mind to leave you, babe, that means I have half a mind to stay. Got half a mind to stay, so please stick around for Pandora's Lunchbox. Hi, it's Mike. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food every Thursday at 6.30. And we've got some big food news in the last week. It's something I did want to talk about. One of my favorite restaurants pretty much just died for the most part. It's pretty much completely gone. That's La Shish. La Shish is gone. Long live La Shish. It's a long story. It's a, re- it's a Middle Eastern restaurant, in case you don't know, that had more than a dozen locations throughout Southeast Michigan, but is no more, and it's a long story. I should mention immediately, though, that there were two former restaurants, formerly a part of La Shish, one in Ann Arbor and one in Blessed, Blessed Womfield. Do I want to go there? West Bloomfield. Hello. West Bloomfield. Two restaurants in Ann Arbor and West Bloomfield, which are still in business because they left the chain a while ago. And you can trace the story through the week in the Detroit Free Press. Lashish employees, about 300 of them, trying to find out whether they're going to get their final paychecks, going to access the Arab Community Center for Economic and Social Services to find out what to do next. Hundreds of Lashish employees swarming the company's headquarters and an employment center trying to find out what's going on. Because Lashish came to an abrupt end on Saturday night, The company closed all of its 11 locations, its headquarters, and its food preparation facility. And this is from the Detroit Free Press. 
The chain's undoing began in April 2005 when federal agents raided the owner's home and headquarters, looking for evidence that he had created a dual set of computerized books to evade $6.9 million in federal income taxes. And the 11 restaurants, all well, as I mentioned, the restaurants, a food processing plant, and the headquarters in Dearborn closed on Saturday night. And, the, and yes, now the, the owner of the place, whose last name is Shaheen, and I apologize, I don't have his first name in front of me at the moment, fled to Lebanon in September 2005 before his indictment. He was later indicted on charges of bribing a Detroit immigration official to use his position to extort more than $260,000 from Lashish employees from 1999 through 2003. And it goes on from there. The government accused him of being connected to Hezbollah and providing support to them. His supporters say that is not true at all. And it is just a great big mess. And the sad thing about all of this is that there are a lot of, well, first of all, all that great food at Lashish, and then hundreds of really hardworking employees, really nice people that I've met when working, uh, eating there, working on eating lots of food there. But Lashish is gone in Dearborn. There were several locations gone in Warren and Farmington Hills and Canton and Livonia and Troy and Roseville and Westland and Clinton Township and Auburn Hills. All of those restaurants closed. And what remains now in Ann Arbor is a restaurant that is making the transition to being called Charlie's Mediterranean Cuisine and a restaurant in West Bloomfield, which also left the Lachish chain. And I know that the restaurant in Ann Arbor, I read an article on this, the restaurant had to go through some difficulties because of what was happening with the, 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 the overall owner. And it was a franchise in Ann Arbor. Some of the individual restaurants were franchises, so they were not really directly connected to the larger Lachish company. But they suffered as well when people... In, when people heard about these reports in the newspaper and thought, oh, they'd better not go there just in case. And so, unfortunately, not as many people were eating really great food. But still, Charlie's Lachish, Charlie's Lachish making the transition to Charlie's Mediterranean Cuisine, continues in Ann Arbor. Now, I want, to, I want to talk about galaba. I really want to talk about galaba, but most of all, I want to eat some right now. And I had some recently. What is galaba? I went to the web, and I tried to find exactly what is galaba, this dish from Lebanon. What does it involve? What's the origin of it? Origin, I'm going to have to find later. There was no entry in Wikipedia, but there are recipes out there. You can get galaba at Middle Eastern restaurants, including Charlie's Mediterranean Cuisine. I found a couple of recipes for chicken galaba, and the two of them are very different. I'd like to read some of this to you. This is actually kind of fun to talk about all this food and and read it to you. Actually, here is beef galaba. You can replace chicken with this. You can put uh, two, two to three pounds of chuck roast, chopped onion, hot paprika, stewed tomatoes, tomato sauce, green peppers, celery, and sliced mushrooms. Now, in galaba, generally you have, it's a stir-fry, essentially, and you have, you have carrot and mushrooms and green peppers and tomato, and those just really taste wonderfully savory together, especially with the savory sauce that often comes with it. That's in the beef galaba, which also can be substituted chicken. Another website that I found had a, a totally different recipe for chicken galaba, and this looks like it had an Indian flavor to it. Now here, try this one. It says here, Marinate cubes of chicken breasts in coconut milk, a few dashes of soy sauce and lemon juice for a couple of hours, then throw in a skillet with thinly sliced onions, square-cut green peppers, or roasted peppers if handy. Sauté an Indian ghee if available, or else a coconut oil-vegetable oil mix. 
Mixing coconut oil and vegetable oil until chicken is browned and onions are transparent. Add about a cup and one half of flaked or shredded coconut and saute further until coconut starts to turn golden. Mm. Reduce heat and add one can of pureed or diced tomatoes, a can of coconut milk, a can of chicken stock, additional chicken soup base or chicken bouillon to taste, and some chopped garlic. 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 Then add garam masala or else the choice of patak's curry pastes. Simmer on low for about 30 minutes until chicken is tender. You can also add green peas to this at this time. Serve over basmati rice with sides of your favorite chutneys. And that's a sounds like a wonderful, lovely, lovely Indian take on the chicken galaba. And they also mentioned that a great and easy bread to make to accompany this is chapati. Chapati flour is a premixed, unbleached white and whole wheat flour, usually found in international markets and sometimes in ethnic sections of groceries. Add just water to several cups of chapati flour until it makes, get this, a very, very sludgy thick paste. You know, there's not a lot of food you want to be very, very sludgy and thick, but, you know, I'll take that. You could also add a few drops of oil for a more crisp bread. Let rest for about 20 minutes. That's the bread, not you. Then shape into two-inch balls and roll out flat on chapati floured bread. Board, on chapati floured board. Take a flat skillet and heat it. No shortening, etc., it says here. Toss chapati on hot skillet and heat on each side until browned. Keep keep the finished chapati in a warm oven with barely damp towel covering them. When it says actually in a warm over with barely damp towel covering them. Well, serve with either ghee or butter as a topping. Either way, make it and eat it and and let me have some. This is Pandora's lunchbox. We're looking at lashish and we're looking at galaba and we're looking at chapati and so much more and. We just want to do what Nick Lowe tells us to do right this moment. And I think he has something to say to us. Okay, let's eat. It's only fooling around 
Thank you, Nick Lowe. And Nick Lowe's band at the time of this recording was called Last Chicken in the Shop. So hopefully you reserved that chicken so you could make your chicken galaba. I want to mention also one more thing about Lashish. The news came out from the Detroit Free Press that the Lashish workers will get paid, according to the attorney for the company. The final checks will be mailed to the about 300 employees' homes, so they're not just going to end up on the street. Well... After that last paycheck, they may have to struggle, but nonetheless, they will get their last paycheck, so that's something worthwhile. Now, another big thing happening. hasn't happened yet, but it could be big. We'll see, especially if the cake is really big. What I'm trying to say is that Jefferson's Market, Jefferson Market on Jefferson Street in Ann Arbor has just got a new owner, and Jefferson Market has been around in one form or another since the 1920s. The most recent incarnation really, really warmed, warmed people up in the neighborhood. It was a nice little neighborhood store that was a little quirky for your average neighborhood store. It was a store that actually had essentially gourmet meals along with, the, with toys, gourmet meals and toys in the same place pretty much, in a little brick building. And that it's been like that since about 2000, but the owner needed to sell it, needed to move on, needed to do other things in her life, and so she offered the place up for sale. And after a while, there, weren't, there were no takers or people who offered it weren't able to do it, one thing or another. Different things financially fell through, and finally the Jefferson Market, the beloved thing, people call it the J-Mart, closed last October, if I remember correctly. Well, now, according to the Ann Arbor News, the Jefferson Market has a new owner. It's going to be sold to a Celine Cake artist who plans to reopen the shop next month already. See, this is happening. Spring is coming, and there's going to be cake. Okay, we're all going to have cake. Mary Rasmussen has owned Bake Shop Wedding Cakes for five years. Uh, she 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 bought Jefferson Market on Friday, and the former owner was Jean Henry. She closed the store in October after trying unsuccessfully to sell it on her own for a year. And now Jefferson Market offered catering services and sold groceries, prepared food, and novelties for more than seven years. But now we have a new store in its place that's going to be called Jefferson Market and Cakery, owned by Mary Rasmussen. And Rasmussen said the market will be open next month, beginning at 7 a.m. every day, except Sunday when it's closed, she'll sell coffee, breakfast pastries, cakes, and other baked goods, as well as a full array of lunch sandwiches. She'll continue her wedding cake business there, and she'll offer it catering, too. And the new Jefferson Market will sell some grocery items, including milk and eggs, as well as flowers, flowers cards, and some gifts. Rasmussen says that she will cut back merchandise in other areas like toys, but she'll put a suggestion box in to get people's points of view on that. So the Jefferson Market is going to reopen next month, the month of April, as Jefferson Market and Creamery, and there will be cake, and it will be sweet. Now, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try in the year 2008 to play a record, an actual turntable record, in a crazy WCBN studio that has morphed into an unusual place, in a place that used to be a sports studio, is now the WCBN studio. 
I'm going to try to make some music happen by pressing this button, and then I'm going to try this, and I see a turntable spinning. If you were me right now, you may... Here we, oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Oh, I may be your dish of tea, but baby, don't you sugar me. Don't stir me, boy, no try to spoon. Don't sugar me, cause us is through. Oh, I won't sip a lip with you. Unless you want a granulated lump or two Just roll them eyes right out that door Them saucer eyes ain't square no more All them things them diamond rings Them stuff You promised me Were figments Newton Sure as shooting Shooting Sure as A-B See the teapot pouts That the kettle's blue It don't work out That spot is true just boil away, boy. Don't sit and brew. Don't sugar me. Cause us is through. Yow. I want to apologize for actually not playing the very beginning of that record, which was an insult to the incredible woman who just sang it. Yes, indeed. That was Fia Karen, if that's pronounced correctly. This is on a marvelous old ulp, which we used to call LPs, but now they're ulps. This is called Songs of the Pogo by Walt Kelly with Norman Monath, or Monath, perhaps. This is a songbook from the old cartoon Pogo, and that was Don't Sugar Me, sung by Fia Karen. And it was a wonderful thing. Words written by Walt Kelly. And just boil it up. There you go. Now, speaking of boiling it up, I do want to mention something. I do want to talk about something about cookies. Cookies and baking. We were talking about the bakery coming up. The bakery, cakery, the Jefferson Market Bakery, cakery, cakery, bakery, whatever the exact name is. Nonetheless, you should know that a cookie payment cost a worker his job. This is from Fort Wayne, Indiana. A review panelist upheld the firing of an Allen County employee for accepting cookies instead of $5 cash for copies of a divorce decree. There you go. Luke Starnes appealed the decision of County Clerk Therese Brown to fire him before the employee panel last week. The panel determined that the firing was justified. Starnes and a co-worker, Janet Nickham, were fired in December after an internal investigation showed they accepted the cookies from a bakery owner in payment for the photocopies. A third employee, Martha Hamblin, received a written reprimand. So 
yeah, here we go. The panel was told that Starnes used his position with the clerk's records management office for personal gain and violated the public trust through cookies. Wow. Now, I wanted to make a smoother transition to this next thought, but I will go straight into it because it is worth discussing anyway. There are people in the world who don't have what we have and have to make do with what they have. And this is a rather startling article that I read about. People in Haiti are reduced actually to eating dirt, eating mud. This is true. This is from the Associated Press. Jonathan Katz wrote this in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. With food prices rising, Haiti's poorest can't afford even a daily plate of rice, and some must take desperate measures to fill their bellies. Charlene, 16, months, 16 years old with a month-old son, has come to rely on a traditional Haitian remedy for hunger pangs. This is a traditional remedy, cookies made of dried yellow dirt from the country's central plateau. The mud has long been prized by pregnant women and children here as an antacid and a source of calcium. But in places such as Cite Soleil, the oceanside slum where Charlene shares a two-room house with her baby, five siblings, and two unemployed parents, cookies made of dirt, salt, and vegetable shortening have become a regular meal. When my mother does not cook anything, I have to eat them three times a day, Charlene said. Though she likes their buttery, salty taste, Charlene said the cookies also give her stomach pains. When I nurse, the baby sometimes seems colicky, too. Food prices around the world have spiked because of higher oil prices needed for fertilizer, irrigation, and transportation. Prices for basic ingredients such as corn and wheat are also up sharply, and the increasing demand for biofuels is pressuring food markets as well. Merchants truck the dirt from the central town of Hinch to the La Saline market, a maze of tables, vegetables, and meat swarming with flies. Women buy the dirt, then process it into mud cookies in places such as Fort Dimanche, a nearby shantytown. Carrying buckets of dirt and water up ladders to the roof of the former prison, for which the slum is named, they strain out rocks and clumps on a sheet and stir in shortening and salt. Then they pat the mixture into mud cookies and leave them to dry under the scorching sun. The finished cookies are carried in buckets to markets or sold on the streets. A reporter sampling a cookie found that it had a smooth consistency and sucked all the moisture out of the mouth as soon as it touched the tongue. For hours, an unpleasant taste of dirt lingered. And that is a a rather sobering report from Haiti about people needing to use a special mud that was prized in some ways as a regular staple of their diet. And I want to turn from that to a more hopeful story, and I do want to say that this is a good time to think about how fortunate we are to have what we have, especially in a city like Ann Arbor, where we have so many choices of restaurants. Now, you can turn mud into cookies if you have to, but you can also turn fog into water. This is a hopeful story that I heard. This is based on a a charity called WaterAid. Plastic mesh can turn fog into clean, pure drinking water and save lives in threatened communities in Nepal, like Fagu Tamangs. Fagu had to trudge for two hours every day through the mountains of eastern Nepal for water. When she arrived at the water point, she still had to wait in a queue for hours. Because she spent so much time away from home, Fagu had little time left to look after her children or grow crops to feed them. In communities like hers around the world, a child dies every 15 seconds from water-related diseases. The charity Water Aid offered to help Fagu Tamang's community at Danda Bazaar, but it faced a huge challenge. The hilltop village had no springs above it, little rainfall, 
and no readily available groundwater below. All it had was dense mountain fog blown in by the wind in the summer months. But then an idea emerged. If the community could collect water from the plentiful plentiful fog, its people wouldn't be trapped in endless poverty because their water supply is so far away. After planning and testing, the villagers of Donda Bazaar built an innovative new water collection system with the help of the charity WaterAid. They erected poles and stretched 4 by 8 meter screens of plastic mesh between them. Made from inexpensive material, these fog harvesters now trap tiny water droplets as the fog passes through. As the water drips down, troughs channel the precious resource into a series of storage tanks providing for the whole village. Now, Falgu can use the time previously spent fetching water to look after her children and tender crops. And that's a hopeful story. Keep in mind that we are lucky to have what we have and look around you to see if there's any way you can pitch in to help others. Food Gatherers is a source in Ann Arbor for helping those who need food. And we've talked about that at other shows and we'll talk about that again sometime soon. In the meantime, a song of fighting adversity here. I'm going to interpret this as a song of fighting adversity. And then we're going to turn it over to Arwolf, who will help us to face the music. This is actually a song from not Haiti, not Nepal, but from Cuba. This is Sierra Maestra, and this is Dundumbanza. Dundumbaza is an evil spirit taken from Afro-Cuban mythology, which has been cast upon the singer. He asks who has sent the spirit and warns that he too can do magic. We can do magic with music, and there you go. This has been Pandora's Lunchbox. I've been Mike. Thank you so much for listening. This is Dundumbaza. This is actually Sierra Maestra and Dundumbaza. Coming up at 7 o'clock, it's Arwolf and Face the Music. See you next week.
Gloria Bernardo, suéltala. CBN FM Ann Arbor, 88.3 megahertz. That's the frequency. It's just past 7 o'clock. My name is R. Wolf. It's time for Face the Music. I was going to open tonight, uh, you know, as we continue to look for viable alternative national anthems. I thought a good national anthem would be the movement from Haydn's uh, work for string quartet, you know, the seven last words of Christ on the cross, uh, I thought of a, a good national anthem would be the movement from that piece uh, <clears throat> that goes along with, uh, as Allen Ginsberg said in the poem, Howl, Eli, Eli, Lama, Lama, Sabachthani, or My God, My God, Why Have You Forsaken Me? Uh, that's sort of the way we feel, I think, right now in the United States of America. But I do have something that's just as uh, relevant. This is from Frank Paul's album, Songs of War and Peace. And it's called No Brainers. I'm sorry, but this is your national anthem. It's time to face the music. You put an 